This is Flavor Report. My name is Joe Winger. Today we have an amazing opportunity. We're interviewing Chef Maxime Kien. He is the newest corporate executive chef for the group NYC, who owns several of Manhattan, New York's finest restaurants, and they're launching several more restaurants throughout the United States in 2023. Today's interview takes place live at La Grande Boucherie in Manhattan. Uh, you will hear the sound of restaurant happening. It was five o'clock. You'll hear early happy hour, and then by the end of the episode, by the end of the interview, you will hear just the the, the noise gets louder, the clunking of silverware, the laughing. All just the restaurant gets busier and busier. But with that said, let's jump into uh, Chef Maxime's resume a bit, his biography. Just up front, I'm gonna say. I've been told several times how to pronounce some of these words. My apologies. I'm still going to butcher some of it. It's just, it's my fault. They did a good job of giving me the pronunciations, and I'll absolutely do my best. With that said, Chef Maxime Kien is a world-renowned chef with more than two decades of experience in fine dining. Growing up in Côte d'Azur region of southern France, Maxime discovered a deep appreciation of natural ingredients, his homeland, has to offer. He perfected his craft in some of the most iconic French Riviera hotels and restaurants, such as the Hotel Negresco in Nice and the Hotel de Paris in Monte Carlo. Later, Maxime relocated to London to work at the esteemed La Tante Claire and then at the United States in Atlanta to work for master chef Joel Antunes at the dining room at the Ritz-Carlton in Buckhead. Uh, later, the nationally acclaimed restaurant Joel. When the Intercontinental Hotel opened in Buckhead in 2004, Maxime was recruited as chef de cuisine. Since then, he has worked in several esteemed establishments around the country, the country being the United States, such as the Venetian in Las Vegas, the Hyatt Regency in New Orleans, and Three Caesars Entertainment Properties. In 2014, Maxime, Chef Maxime, was inducted into the prestigious Académie Culinaire de France as a recognition for his career, and he is working on his MCF French Master Chef certification. Most recently, Maxime, Chef Maxime worked for Hilton in Cleveland and Cincinnati. He gathered much attention as the only AAA Five Diamond recipient in Ohio, out of only 68 in the United States. Prior to the pandemic, Chef Maxime was the resort executive chef at the Nima Colon Woodland Resort, a five-star, five-diamond property in Pennsylvania. And now today, right now, Chef Max is sitting in front of me at a gorgeous table side in Manhattan, New York. And uh, I am beyond excited, sir. Thank you for your time. And I'm excited to uh, get talking to you about fine dining and your background and this amazing restaurant. I work with a lot of winemakers, and I feel like there's some similarities as far as making wines and food, and obviously similar culinary and, and uh, lifestyle. And I just always find that people who have confidence in their first set of skills, they find parallels and metaphors in others. And so I think how you control a kitchen, perhaps, or how you communicate, 
comes across in media as well, that confidence. Well, it's a learning, it's a learning because when you start in the kitchen, you don't, you only see what's in front of you. It's, you know, it's like you don't have a good grasp of everything that's going on around you. Because you start as a prep cook, so, you know, as a line cook, and you just work one station, you work, you know, like, most of the time you work with garbage stuff because you don't have the speed, you don't have the confidence, you don't have the, the knife skills. So you have to work and build on that to be able to grow the ladder, you know, and then after you work at odd abs and, and after the grill and saute and once you're able to master all the stations, that's when you become a sous chef and after you go from sous chef to you know, chef and executive chef. And so it takes a while to build all of that. It takes a while. Interesting. Speaking of taking a while, let's go way, way back. You have generational experience in a kitchen because of your grandparents. Well, my dad was a professional chef in, uh, in South of France, in Monaco. My, all my grandparents, both my grandmothers and my grandfathers were great cooks. And I had actually one of my great-grandfather was a professional cook in Paris in a place called Les Halles which was an open-air market that was very famous in the uh, late 1800s, early 1900s. And he worked over there. So it's like, uh, there was a very famous uh, French brasserie open over there, it used to be called Au Pied de Cochon. Uh, and the story behind that is that the gentleman that opened that place wanted to have a place where all the chefs could meet because there was the open-air market that was right next to it. So you had a mix of late night partiers that would go out and party and they wanted a place to be able to go eat and drink all night long. And you had a place for like, you know, all the people that worked until late that wanted to go to a place where they could go and eat something before they went home. Then you had a place where the chefs that, you know, they had to go to the market at four o'clock in the morning right. to be able to pick, you know, the, the poultry and the rabbits and the quails and all the fish coming from Brittany. On a daily on a daily routine to pick and pick everything they wanted, right. and they would do that at four o'clock. But after they needed a place to to go for breakfast, so they open oh. the cochon right by, and it's open twenty four hours a day. Wow. It's always been a mix of people from the showbiz, like you know singers and actors, and and people that you know that have to get up at three o'clock in the morning to go to the market and they want a place to have something to eat. So it's what a host of characters. Yeah, so you would have like a like you know. Mick Jagger sitting at the bar over there enjoying right. like you know something right. or next to him would be like a chef with his commie then a 14 year old having like you know an andouillette or like a piece of saucisson and bread for breakfast right. with a glass of red wine at 6 o'clock in the morning so <laughs> it's always been a mix of everything over there that's incredible and now just to tie it together this is the famous story of you playing with the lobsters is this where this happened no that 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 story was when my dad opened the restaurant where he was the chef in Monaco okay and so they had the big aquarium with like the spiny lobsters and the lobsters right. and I was five five and a half okay. and he would take me on his motorcycle to Monaco and you know they, I was told all the stories that I would go and take the little net and actually go fishing for the uh, the spiny lobsters and the lobsters and play with them amazing amazing so so really the answer isn't one inspiration it's I mean it sounds like a childhood of inspiration it sounds like weekly and daily you had amazing kitchen experiences and restaurant experience growing up well my unfortunately my dad passed away when I was really young uh, I was six when he passed away but I, I I guess I was drawn to that cooking and that kind of I would say lifestyle and kind of chaotic 
just working in the kitchen is like it's like the only thing you know is what time you what time you start. You never know when you get done. It might be quiet and you might be gone and done by home at night by ten o'clock. And if you start to get busy and you get you get slammed, you know, it might not be done until two o'clock in the morning. So it's I guess it's that I would say mix of adrenaline and of working in the kitchen and being busy and and it's tough and it's grueling and it's rewarding and it's it's a mix of everything. I love it's mixed emotions if I can put it that way. I, I love it, I love it. Um we hear so often, I'm not sure if it's a cliche, but the different characters that take place in a kitchen. And it sounds like you've had similar experiences as far as the personalities go in, in a restaurant. Yeah, because you have some chefs, you know, that it's like everybody everybody's different. You know, my way to run the kitchen is different from the way that some of the chefs I worked with, you know, it's like a recipe, you know, you take bits and pieces from a recipe to make the same dish and you make it your own. So your management style is the same way, you know, I worked for some chefs that were very good at managing people, but in the kitchen they were good, but not as great as some other ones. And some of them, you know, you would give them like, you know, a potato and a couple of items and they would be like, geniuses are creating dishes, but they were not the best at managing people. So. It's, you have to make your own. You pick bits and pieces from all your experiences, sure. and then after you create your own style. It goes the same thing for the food. I love it. Um, something you said before that I, especially based on the fact that you graduated culinary school so early on, the idea of education, like book education versus hands-on. I was hoping you'd expand on that a little bit. And then... Well, I'm. I would say I'm. I kind of put that. Sometimes it's hard to look at the new generation of chefs mm -hmm. and being able to understand exactly what they're trying to achieve. Meaning that when I went to culinary school back in the 80s, you know, you wanted to graduate and like you know like a diploma, and then after you wanted to be able to get your food inside the door and have like like a three Michelin star restaurant, like a very famous place, because you knew that the chef, you were going to be able to learn from him, and that was going to take you to the next chef, that was going to take you to the next chef, you know, because they're like, it's a close-knitted, um, I would say, um, family, so all the big chefs know each other. So when you're ready to make your move, the chef, most of the time, would come and tell you, say, where do you want to go next? Oh, I'd like to go here, I'd like to go there, okay. He would make a call and say, hey, another three mission star another big chef and say hey I've got a chef a cook that wants to come and work for you let me know when you have an opening and he's actually would be the one putting the word in for you and that's how you would actually move up now unfortunately the way that some of the cooking TV shows have been happening on TV mm -hmm. they actually gave a vision of what it is to be a chef completely different to add to the truth so now you have cooks they go to very famous, very expensive culinary school. They spend a huge amount of money to graduate, and then after a few, after two years of education, they expect to find position of being executive chef, having very expensive Japanese knife, being pole chef, making over six figures, and wearing Egyptian cotton jackets with their name on embroidered on them. But they don't have the basics, you know. They they're trying to, I would say, they're trying to earn before they can walk. So I would say the biggest difference with my generation is that you went through all the processes, you 
didn't try to burn the steps before you actually tried to be a chef. You know, you had to be a good line cook before you tried to become like you know chef de party, and the good chef de party before you became a sous chef, and then after a good sous chef before you became an executive chef. So it's that's the main difference with that now. Sounds like truly almost rites of passage, if you will. Yeah, almost like an army style. You know, like you yeah. have to graduate through the ranks to be able to go up the ladder. I love that. Kitchen is the same way. Well, at least it used to be. Thinking about the idea of how some people are, are let's say they have higher aspirations too quick. Is there one major thing that so many students, is there a common mistake they make when they get in the kitchen? You try to go too fast. Too fast. Take your time. Yeah. You know, find a chef that you feel like, you know, and I mean, New York is, you know, very, very uh, lucky for that because you've got so many great chefs, you know. You're going to talk about, you know, the Daniel Boudou, the Eric Ripper, the, um, all, all those great chefs that, you know, that, that brought the New York culinary scene to the next level. I mean, uh, Daniel Boudou has been here for 30 years now. And being able to work for those chefs, they're the ones that are going to put you on the spotlight. So go work for him, you know, write everything down, test everything, take pictures. I mean, when I started, we didn't have cell phones to take right. pictures. So it was whatever we could remember and whatever we could write down. Now you reach the point where you can actually almost take your phone and record or take a video of a chef doing the dish and then after you can, you know, write it down. So you could pretty much tape anything and just like keep it for you. So that's that's my, I would say, biggest advice to the cooks right now. Find a chef, find your niche, go work for him two years, three years, four years. Write everything down, test everything down, ask questions. And then learn as much as you can. Don't think about being called chef right away. Don't think about making a ton of money. Learn as much as you can. Then, then after you start to think about your next step, but take your time. I love that. I love that. And just as a quick side note to that, um, if you could choose between going to culinary school or at zero, walking into a kitchen and learning, school is still the best first option, or walking in at zero? Well, it depends of. If you have the, uh, the financial stability to be able to afford a culinary school, or it may be your parents that, uh, because it can be pretty pricey. Uh, but I would say, you know, you have some, yeah, I'm not talking about going to like a very expensive, very famous one, but you can have some good basic training in a culinary school, get your diploma, because a lot of places want you to graduate, or have some kind of a formal education from a, like a cooking college. Then then after get, you know, go see your chef, be, bossy a little bit and say I, I just want to learn I want to work for you you're the best in the business in your town you can be in New York you can be in Chicago or anywhere else and just say I, I want I want to learn I want I want to work for you and, and just go for it you mentioned your phone a minute ago about how that you can always just take pictures and video in the kitchen one of the things when I meet somebody new whether I'm going to a new restaurant or whatever is obviously I check out their social media uh -huh. I want to see what they're taking pictures of and your Instagram the pictures you're taking you're having a good time here I um, so I'm new in town. Yes. I've been here three months. Okay. Uh, I was fortunate. I've been in America for since '99, so 23 years. I was able to come a few times in New York before, and I like the vibe of it. I like the I like the atmosphere. I like the uh, the uh, the speed of it. You know, it's always yeah. there's always something happening. It's always everybody's always hustling. Look at people walk, they're always in a rush. 
I lived in London for five years, so I kind of that reminds me that time. There's a few things that you know it's not that great, you know, that the cleanliness and the street and the subways are not the best, but it is what it is. Sure, sure. But yes, I'm really enjoying my time here. It's like, um, I mean, you know, there's a few st- cities like that around the world. It's just like they're always like you know the big apple, the mix of everything, the mix of culture. I mean, you walk here like in your French breast when you walk down the street and you have a little. Uh, a little shop on the, on the corner of the, of the street where they do halal food and it tastes, smells awesome. So you have the opportunity to be able to see so many different cultures, so many different food in just one small area. They get in a subway, you can be in Chinatown, you can be in Korean town, you can be like, you know, anywhere and taste everything. So that's that's why I'm enjoying it so much. That's incredible. Um, so, so hearing that, maybe it's a preconception, a misconception, or even just a, a beautiful surprise. What's been your biggest surprise about the Manhattan dining scene? I don't know. It's... When you walked in, what were you expecting? When, when you from where? Arrived? From La Grande Boucherie, or from the, the company, or from the uh, New York in general? The city itself. When you came in, knowing what were you expecting New York City to be like, from a food scene? To me. Living in New York is expensive, but eating in New York is even more expensive than what I thought it was going to be. And you know, you have some places where, you know, it's south of France, that's expectation, and it's the French Riviera, and Monaco. But I have to say that I was really uh, shocked by the prices of everything in New York. It's pretty, uh, it can be really expensive. And by yourself, it's expensive, so just imagine going out for dinner with a family of four. It's, it can be really uh, crazy. <laughs> My guilty pleasure is oysters, and so when I got here and saw amazing oyster happy hours almost on every corner, I was in heaven. And I'm curious, from a local point of view, with your palate, when you think of New York, what do, what what flavors do you think of? Can be everything and anything. It's like you know, you can walk home and pass, you know, and walk by a little Korean restaurant, and the aroma is going to take you, and you're like, no, I, I need to try that. Or you can pass, you know, that little. I'll stand over there and the guy is just doing his gyros and everything and you're like, I need to try that for lunch. And you, you mentioned social media, you open something and it's like, you know, like that new restaurant that opened down by uh, by the offices and they do that beautiful sandwich and you're like, oh, I need to do that. They do the focaccia fresh every day and they slice the, the prosciutto and the pastrami and they do all of that and you're like, mm, I need to go and try that. So it's not expectation, it's like, you know, the being lucky to be able to have access to so many different kind of food. Somebody that's going to be living like in, and I'm not trying to be mean, but like, you know, like in, I would say in the middle of Kansas or in the middle of, like, you know, uh, Idaho, is not going to be able to experience all of that, that vibe, that all that food scene. This really is an amazing town as far as food scene goes. I've only been to France twice. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I, I guess because of your global experience, do you feel New York is more than top 10? Is it top five, top three food scenes in the world? Where would you rank New York? Um, I think everything is changing all the time. You know, it's like, you know, France for a long time was like, you know, the culinary center of the world. And I'm sure that some of my French colleagues and French chefs, you know, might not agree with what I'm going to say, but it's like, it's a mix of everything. It's, you know, something is going to be like, you know, 
Spain came up and Fernandria and did molecular food and everything was like, you know, a lot of tapas and a lot of influences and everything. Then, you know, Asian food has always been there, you know, even if a lot of Asian chefs right now, especially in Japan, they actually went to Europe and trained in like famous French chefs for the, the techniques. Huh. And then and after they took those techniques and used that to develop the culinary scene in Japan, you know, Robichon was over there, Paul Brokers was over there. All these famous chefs opened over there, Bangkok, Singapore, Hong Kong, and being able to use the French technique and, and mix it with some flavors from their own country. But, I mean, New York is, to me, uh, yeah, I would easily put it into the top, top 10 destination in the world, easily. Um, in speaking of the, the viewpoint of the restaurant, the whole company is evolving quite a bit. And you said when you first walked in that you know you've only been here a few weeks, but you're obviously here for that evolution. Mm -hmm. um, tell me a bit about the vision of the future. What, what's, what's the company going to look like? Well, the company started about 11 years ago with the, the vision of Emil Stefkov, the owner, um, and he opened the first restaurant in the company was Olu and Pure, which is in the West Village. That was the that was the first baby. Uh, and the company grew pretty quickly after that. Um, and then after you had like, you know, Boucherie West Village and La Petite Boucherie, and after they had uh, Boucherie on Park, on Park Avenue. Uh, and so the company, I would say, almost quadrupled its size within a few years. Then Dagon Boucherie came, of course, you know, because of COVID, everything was kind of touch and go and I had it, but you know, it's, like I said, it's very, very successful. The most booked restaurant all over the, in New York City, Incredible. and then now with the addition and following the vision of him, uh, of Emil, uh, you know we have a few projects coming up. We have you know Miami and, and Washington DC and Chicago, so we're gonna add another eight restaurants on the portfolio uh, within the next. I'm not gonna say any exact numbers yeah. because this permits They're, and everything they we are never know. Yeah. But they, they will be coming, and so we're gonna double the size of the company within. Uh, a short amount of time for sure. Is that pure excitement for you? Is there an anxiety there? How are you feeling about that huge growth spurt? Well, there's a lot of uh, moving parts, you know, between, you know, the part of developing the kitchen and having a look at the plan and say, okay, you know, we need to do this, this way, the, the pantry needs to be here, the pantry needs to be there, you know, and then talking about menu development and, and menu research and, and the staffing. And there's so many components, it's not only just like, say we're going to open the restaurant but there's so much work behind that you know you're looking at the location you're looking at you know the money you're going to have in miami is not going to be the same money that you're going to have in washington dc or in chicago you know you have to to think back at seasonal local you know like if you were to put what can i say like I wouldn't put the same menu in a place like California, having the demographic and the background over there that I would put in New York. It's two different food scene. So you have to, you know, even if you have to have a core items from the menu because they are your identity, right. you have to look at every single location as a, almost like a separate entity and being able to say, okay, this, this dish might not work over there, but it's going to work right here. So develop all of that and being thoughtful about everything. From a foodie point of view, if I was going to go, if I had a friend or if I was dating someone or what have you, what's a great foodie book that you recommend for someone who doesn't sort of want to be, maybe they're a home chef, but they just love food? 
it's a tricky question because I don't go for the the home cook books. You know, like when I buy books, I always go for the chefs. I always go for my peers. You know, people sure. that I'm going to be able to look at something and be like, wow, that's a great idea. And maybe if I did it like tweak that way or that way, that would have something that could apply here. So. Well, let's go with a, with a more professional book then. If I, if I was going to buy something as a gift, what would that? What should that foodie book be? Coming from south of France and, and loving like Mediterranean food, uh, there are some some French chefs. Uh, I mean, you know, you talk about Morocco La Greco, who is uh, so a three Michelin star restaurant in my own town called Mirazur, and he has a beautiful cookbook, but it's very intricate. You know, it plays a lot of specific parts, you know. Alain Ducasse, you know, was a famous chef who had hotels and restaurants here in New York. Uh, as the Hotel de Paris in Monaco and Louis was commission star for over 20 years now. Um, it's beautiful cookbooks. But, you know, sometimes you have uh, a former mayor of Nice uh, who's passed away now. His name was uh, Jacques Médecin. And he wrote a cookbook uh, with, like, all the old grandmas and grandpas recipes that you could find at that time so it's all traditional that's amazing cook and and recipes from that time so you know and it depends on what you want to if you want to do you know of course i'm going to always look at, at french food because being french that's what i'm drawn to of course but you know you can find a chef you know that's going to be more geared towards you know louisiana food then you might want to go for your animal know somebody who's going to be more like in the Latin America and you're going to go for a chef of that vibe you know go, go to a good bookstore look at the culinary section or look all the cookbooks and then after look at what what draws you you know you get get great pastry chefs too so it's a mix of everything okay. um wrapping things up there but if you have any ideas about what I might be seeing and tasting tonight to be tasting like all the new dishes that have uh, that I started two nights ago um, so the idea would be to do transition from what was done in the past and me coming in and bringing a, a different vibe you know people think about French food and they think about heavy food a lot of butter a lot of cream um, strong flavors but sometimes it's depending on which part of France you come and it's gonna be like something completely different you know, you drive like you know for 30 minutes, and it's you feel it's the same region, but no, it's going to be different aromas, different flavors, different techniques. So tonight, you're going to be sampling some dishes that I just started. That are going to be a little bit more on the lighter version. The approach to spring and, and summer, yeah. and then after revisit the whole menu like for fall and winter. Uh, but uh, I believe the good idea would be to start maybe with the. Um, the leek salad it's very light it's um, you know the uh, the idea of taking like a simple product as a leek and then make it as a star of a dish it's something which is I don't I, I don't think that and I'm not trying to be pretentious you can go anywhere in the city you will not find a leek salad on any menu besides us and it's like you know that's a uh, I did that that menu for my tasting for Emil uh, for the owner and he absolutely loved it and that to me that was a good recognition to put that on the menu because it's it's simple it's rustic but it's very flavorful and you're not going to find it anywhere else and that's that's the goal you know um, i think after uh, we could do uh, if we were to do the uh, the leek salad um maybe uh, the frog legs no frog legs or yeah. sampling 
you know, it's one of the uh, the cliche of people thinking that you know French people eat frog legs. No, we don't grab them fresh out of the water and buy their heads. No, we cook <laughs> them and we put a lot of love into it. So a lot of flavors. So we do we could do the frog legs. We could go on the scallops and after maybe the bronzino. Wow. Uh, that's another dish that I did for a meal for the owner and like everybody loved it. And so you'll be able to see dishes that just started and you will be the first journalist to be able to speak about them. That's very flattering and amazing. Thank you very much. Um, so sometimes I get a little too poetic with my storytelling. Uh -huh. But just in case you may also err in that territory, when I'm eating a multi-course or multi-plates, I'm always looking for what's the story, what's the journey of plates. Mm -hmm. Do you have any of that as well? And if so, what's the story you try to tell? My story is simplicity is best. You know, it's I don't try to do overcomplicated dish that you're not going to be able to understand. So simplicity, taking a beautiful product as simple as a leek, as a scallop, putting a garnish shell is going to complement it, and it's going to give you a chance to be able to taste something that hopefully you've never tasted before, or not in that, not in that fashion at least. Being able to say, oh, you know what, that that leek salad was so simple that it was beautiful. That's what I'm trying to accomplish. That's the whole story behind it. And that was amazing for me. I hope you also got a lot of great information and insight out of it. Uh, thank you, Chef Max, for your time. I'm excited to see what the group NYC does over the next months and years. Uh, that was just, a, for me, it was an inspirational and very insightful conversation about culinary, about the New York dining scene, and about what the group NYC is up to next. So thank you for listening. Thank you for your time. and. Uh, Chef Max, thank you so much. Have a great night.